So that's all your announcements. Um, once again, I'm Alex. I'm the pastor here. And um, even though I'm not a pastor here, I don't speak all the time. And sometimes I've had somebody recently ask me, yeah, my wife is celebrating that. She's like, yes, finally another voice. Um, each month I try to have someone indifferent to speak to us. And that's not because I'm a lazy pastor and I don't love to speak. Most pastors would speak all the time if they could. But it's because I believe that I'm not the person with all the answers. And I think that we need to hear from different voices and we need to have different people sharing with us. And I need to hear messages from other people as well. And so I love inviting people in. I love giving people inside opportunities like Nick has taken and some others. Um, but I also glad to have people in from the outside to give us different perspectives and to hear their voices. And so tonight, Matt Loveland is going to speak for us, and he's been coming to our men's leadership group, and I've enjoyed getting to know him and listen to some of his wisdom as he uh, shares with us about leading as men. Um, and he's recently moved from St. Louis, and I know when I first moved up here from Tennessee, I went from speaking every Sunday at a church in Tennessee to up here where I didn't speak for two years. And I was like, as I was getting everything ready for a church, and I was like, I've got a word from the Lord. I, got so, I need to tell somebody something. Someone needs to listen to me. And so I want to give him an opportunity uh, to share with us what's burning on his heart as he continues our series, The Great Story. Let's give him a hand as he comes. Oh, gosh. He's talking me up a lot. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I'm originally from Missouri. I'm a long ways from home. Um, so, so we moved here in July of this year, so we've been here for a few months. Um, we're excited to be here. Um, but whenever, I, I do have an inside track here. My brother-in-law, Justin, actually started attending here. So um, we, we wanted to come and, and hang out and get to know some of the people here. And um, it's been fun in our times getting to come here. Um, we don't get to come often. You know, I have, a, I have two kids and they're crazy. There's no other kids, so it's kind of tough. Um, we're, we're running around all over the place making noise. So I'm like, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go visit as, we can, as much as we can. So, uh, But I was thankful to get invited to the men's leadership um, on the Wednesday mornings. And now that I have a job, it's a little tougher to get to. But I love my time there, getting to hang out with Alex and Justin and a couple other people. So um, it's a lot of fun. But anyways, uh, we're talking about the Christmas story and how it changes everything about our story. Um, so, I want to tell you a little bit more about myself. I know I kind of intro that I'm from Missouri, but I am married to Justin's sister. Um, and we've been married for seven years. And we have two kids. Uh, Levi is five, and he's back there, right next to Justin. And then uh, my little Sadie is at home. Um, I'm sure tormenting mommy. Um, but anyways, love my family so much. Um, and thankful for that. So I was born in Springfield, Missouri, and if you've never heard of it, it's okay. There's, there's not much going on there, although it is the home of cashew chicken. If anybody doesn't know what that is, you're missing out. It's one of my favorite things. It's one of the, one of the things that I miss about Springfield. Uh, but anyways, it's basically north of, of Branson. And if you've ever heard of Branson, yeah, that's it. It's, it's in the middle of, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and um, so that's kind of where I grew up. Um, but I was raised knowing about Jesus. So I'd known about Jesus my whole life, pretty much. Uh, my grandma Dee, who had some wild moments even whenever I was little, but I, I basically lived with her sometimes because I always wanted to be at grandma's house. And there's a little story of me whenever I was like two or three. Um, I'm at my house with my mom and dad, and I said, I want to go home. 
and I was talking about grandma's house. And my dad's like, okay, all right, we're done. We're not gonna let him go over so much because he thinks that's home. But uh, Grandma Dee was always talking about Jesus. Um, her and my grandpa both um, attended church pretty regularly. They got away from it for a while, then they got back, and you know, the latter part of my grandfather's life, he was a deacon in the church and all that stuff. Um, so Jesus Loves Me was probably the first song that I remember, and I'm not gonna sing it for you. Not gonna happen, sorry. No, not going to do it. Um, so anyway, so that's the first song that, that I learned as a kid. So Jesus has always been a part of my life. Um, I would say probably about eight or nine years old, I went to a VBS with my cousin, Vacation Bible School, if you don't know what that is. Um, and I, it's there that I think, I believe that's what I decided that I wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't necessarily know what all of it meant at the time. But I did know what, who Jesus was. And I felt like there was something, I remember the moment, I just remember there was a, a tug on my heart, because that's what the guy asked me, well, you feel a tug on your heart? And I said, uh-huh, as I'm weeping uncontrollably. So I don't know if, if God was moving in my life at that point or not, it probably was. Um, but that was one of the few experiences that I had early on that kind of let me know that something, there's something different. You know, the, the earth is not just randomly here, there's a purpose behind everything. Um, so things went for fairly normal, you know, normal life. My parents, sister, I had a younger sister. Um, and then about age 16, my parents, um, they split up. And uh, that was a tough, that was a tough period because when you're 16, you know, your life is not supposed to be falling apart. You know, you're not supposed to have existential crisis at 16. You don't know what the heck's going on. So I just remember just feeling so terrible. And not knowing what to do, my parents were fighting a lot, me and my sister were fighting, it was just, it was chaos. And it was a tough part of my life, and somehow made it through high school, I think sports kind of kept me going. I was constantly busy, so I didn't have to, time to think about how my life was in shambles, or at least it felt like it. Um, but, you know, at some point, I met a few people along the way that kind of reminded me about Jesus again. You know, they just kind of, little things in there just, just kind of remind me. Um, and then after I graduated high school, went to a community college, pretty normal standard life but after that first year I decided that man my life needs to be different I've got to do something different I just I'm not happy there's something there's no joy in my life I just literally have nothing um, somehow through some people that I met I landed at the church that would ultimately basically raise me as an adult um, but North Point Church in Springfield were you know where I grew up um, within a couple months I was involved in youth ministry and I spent all of my extra time in youth ministry. I was helping the youth pastor um, who is now, you know, he started a church in Kansas, in Manhattan, which is where Kansas State's at. They call it the Little Apple, because it's Manhattan, you know. Um, but they, you know, his church is blooming, and you know, it's so great to see that. But I spent so much time with him, like, almost too much probably. It was probably unhealthy the amount of time I was spending there. But I loved what I was doing. I loved making an impact on these kids. I loved learning from people that were just pouring themselves into me. And I knew that I wanted to do that too. That was a big thing for me. So it was in that time that I felt this little, I don't know what you're gonna call it, a nudge? Or like a, I don't wanna say calling because that's like the real churchy way to say it. Like, so it's, it's almost like I felt like something needed, I needed to do something. And that thing I felt like was vocational ministry, meaning that I wanted to get paid by a church. I wanted this to be my job. That's what I wanted. I felt like this is what God was asking me to do. So. Went to Bible college, as you do. Spent a lot of money. Still paying. It's fun. Um, Alex probably knows. Um, I graduated somehow. 
somehow I've graduated college. I did so good in high school and college. I was lazy, didn't want to do all the work, but Bible college was fun. Thankfully, I had a church home that I could go to, and I didn't have to worry about all the drama that comes with going to a Bible college, spring before spring, all that. I didn't have to worry about that, thankfully. Um, but after a couple years of working at my church, after I graduated Bible college, I was a middle school pastor. I did a lot of time, um, or I spent a lot of time with middle school kids and high school kids and just pouring into them. At some point, I remember this, my, I just feel like, man, something's got to change. This is not what I thought I wanted to do. This is not working out the way that I thought. So I felt this nudge that I needed to quit. I remember I came home and I was like, I, I, I can't remember the timeline exactly, but I think it was before my son was born that I was like, I got home and yeah, Tiffany was pregnant. She wasn't home. She was at home. She didn't come to youth group that night, but I came home and I was like, I'm quitting. I'm done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I don't know why I feel this way, but I just feel like God is basically saying, it's time to move on. And I didn't know, I didn't know why, but so I'd made the decision, put in my notice, uh, spent a little bit more time there because they needed some help and I wasn't, I had nothing else going on. Um, but ultimately I got this invitation to move to a new city to start a church. And um, I was like, holy cow, this is what, this is it. This is the thing. This is it. Okay. This is going to be great. I can't wait. Tiffany wasn't as excited because that meant that she was going to have to quit her job, that we were going to have to sell our house, we were going to have to do all this stuff in order to move. To move with people that we knew okay, but we weren't super close to them, so it was a little bit of a risk. Um, after some time praying and just trying to figure out this is what we wanted to do, we decided we're going to do it. Um, it took a few months before we finally moved. She had to get through her, the end of her school, uh, school year. We had to put our house in the market. We had a lot of things that had to happen. So we put our house in the market, and in the meantime, I kept working for the church that I had been working for um, at a different campus. I was able to serve their youth ministry because they had a vacancy. So I did that, and that was great. But then at some point, we decided we got to leave. We got to get out of here. So house didn't sell yet, but we're like, we got to go. So we found a place in St. Louis, which is where we moved to, which was three hours away from my family, which was tough. Um, now I'm 16 hours away. So, you know, but anyways, so I felt this was the next nudge, go to St. Louis. Okay, that's great. Didn't work out. Things fell apart. Within a couple years, it just, it just didn't work. And I remember the, the feeling of, like, are you serious? Like, we moved up here for this and all of a sudden it's over? Like, what the heck? And you know, but we felt like we had to make this decision for the betterment of our family because it was creating chaos at home. So through that church plan, I met somebody who got me a job at Chick-fil-A. Anybody like Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A is great. I love it. Um, but I worked there, and it was an opportunity, A, to get out of the house because I was staying at home with Levi at the time. And I was like, I can't. I can't anymore. I need to, be, I need to work. Um, so I got a job at Chick-fil-A. I worked there for three years, and it was my opportunity to serve and minister to others even if it was just a job. You know, it wasn't a church job, but it's Chick-fil-A, it's holy chicken, right? Um, so, but after five years of being in St. Louis, we both started to feel unsettled. Wife's job was in the tank, it wasn't working, and it was causing her to be miserable, and which in turn is causing us all to be miserable. I was also unsettled in my job, I just didn't know if I wanted to keep doing that anymore. So, she had an opportunity in Philly, which 
We're like, Philly? What the heck? A friend of hers that had been like, hey, we have an opening. You should take it. So we thought about it. Because we got to sell it. We just bought a house. We lived there for a couple years. We need to sell it. Here we go again. Scary. We don't know what to do. Do we do, we do this? She took, she took the interviews. We had finally had a final interview when we come out up here to visit. And by that time, we had to, before we did that, we had to make a decision of whether we were going to do it or not. We kind of just went all in. Contacted a realtor, a friend of mine, um, and they put our house on the market. Within the first day, we had a contract. Our house was going to sell in the first day. Holy cow. This is way better than what happened last time. Last time was a disaster, and we're still like super nervous about that. So we come out here, she basically gets the job, and we're like, this is the right decision. And it also worked out that her family was here. Her mom and dad are moving to the area, her brother Justin's already here. Man, I just felt like this is perfect, this is great. Um, so we've kind of followed that nudge, and so enough about me, okay? I'm done talking about myself for the most part. We need to talk about the guy that we're here to talk about, and that's a fellow, fellow named Abraham. Anybody know who Abraham is? Know the story of Abraham? So, in Genesis chapter 12, we meet this guy named Abram. That was his name before God changed to Abraham. We'll, we'll read about that later. But Abram felt like he was spoken to by God that said, go to a place that I'm going to tell you about. That's pretty vague, right? Didn't give him a lot of information. Didn't say, hey, I'm going to you know, go to this place. So we'll read about that in uh, verses 1 through 5 in chapter 12 in the book of Genesis. Uh, God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Again, lots of details. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left just as God had said, and Lot left with him, which was his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. hope I said that right. Abram took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot with him, along with all the possessions and people they had gotten in Haran, and set out for the land of Canaan and arrived safe and sound. So at some point, I guess, within all of that, God had spoken to Abraham, this is where you're going. So that's where Abram went. So this brings me to my first point. When we feel God's nudge or call, we should be ready to respond. Ready to respond. I think that Abraham was probably one of those guys that was constantly aware of what was going on around him. He was constantly looking out for what the divine, I don't know if they had a name for God at that point, but the divine, they knew that there was something going on and he was listening. So Abram gathered all of his stuff and they headed to that place that God was going to show him. And obviously I just pointed out, he doesn't give us a lot of detail a lot of times, and especially Abraham. Abram did a lot of things without a lot of information. And I think that there's a reason for that. If God gave us all the info that we needed, to make a decision, there's no trust, right? There's no reason to trust that God is going to... We wouldn't need to trust him because he's already given us everything out there. He's already thrown it all out there saying, this is what it's going to look like. We can make a decision. But when we don't know, it's going to ask, it's basically asking us, just trust me, guys. Just trust me. So when I felt the, need, the nudge to leave my home church, my family, and everything I was comfortable with, I didn't know why. I just knew that it was what needed to happen felt it and I felt like I needed to respond um, so Abraham experiences this a lot where he doesn't know what's gonna happen 
but he gets another step of the promise built upon what it was talking about building him and making a great nation out of Abraham. And it was this, that God was going to bring him a son through his wife, Sarai. Okay? Here's the fun part about this promise. Abram and Sarai were really old. Okay? Most people have kids in their 20s and 30s, some in their 40s. There's random stories of their 50s, random stuff. But this couple were asked to have kids in their 70s. Yikes. Didn't happen for a while. That's nuts. So this idea is already crazy in and of itself because they're old. And this is not something that's going to happen a lot. So in fact that they were so like, probably like, what? There's no way. They try to put their own plan because they tried to, they kind of got impatient. And so Sarah, in Genesis 16, we won't read it, but I'll just briefly summarize it. Sarai told Abram to sleep with her servant Hagar, and then Hagar got pregnant and gave birth to Ishmael. This would obviously backfire because when somebody else has a baby with your husband, it's what we call baby mama drama, right? That begins to occur, and so this isn't how God planned to bless Abram. This is not part of the promise. But sometimes what we forget is that, yeah, we're going to make mistakes, and Abram made his fair share, I'm sure. But while this wasn't what God had planned, he never changed his mind with Abram. He was not done with him. Yeah, this backfired a little bit, but God was going to use that for a different purpose. He renamed Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah, so I don't have to stop saying those crazy names. In fact, um, he, he gently reminded Abraham, of the promise to bless his family and make them the ancestor of a multitude of nations. Promise doesn't change In fact, he was building on it. This is going to come from Abraham. This is going to come from Sarah. Like, this is going to happen. So, when we moved from my hometown to a new city, we thought we were doing the right thing. Looking back, thinking about it, it's like, yikes. We probably should have waited until our house sold. But, I think at the same time, we knew that this was our next step, and it was something that we needed to do. And ultimately, what worked out was that God provided for us. We were paying for two mortgages with one job. It's insane. I don't know what the heck we were thinking. But we did it. But you know what? We always had food. <laughs> our electricity and gas never showed off. Levi is still here, so obviously it was successful. Um, so God took care of us. Which brings us to our next thing. Isaac is finally born, guys. This is the guy, this is the baby that was born to Sarah in her old age. Okay? This is crazy. So we're going to read about this in Genesis chapter 22. And it's going to be verses 1 and 2. So we're just going to kind of read a brief part of this because there's more to the story. So verse 1, after all this, God tested Abraham. God said, Abraham. Yes, answered Abraham. I'm listening. He said, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. Are you kidding me? Are you? He literally just gave this kid to Abraham. Abraham is in his 90s when he gets this kid. And now God's saying, hey, now you're going to have to go kill him. Are you kidding me? That's nuts. So... Abraham had just gotten this promise finally. How's this going to carry on? What's, what's Abraham going to do? So when it became clear that the church that I had helped start, okay, 
was going nowhere. We had a chance to remain miserable, or we could listen to that small voice that was saying, trust me, just let it go. Just trust me on this. So Abraham obeyed God. <laughs> I love, this is one of my favorite stories. I love it. He took Isaac up to a mountain with the necessary materials to do a sacrifice. He leaves the servants down at the bottom of the mountain. And then he says, come on, Isaac, let's go. But Isaac starts to realize, wait, we got the wood, we got the knife. Where's the animal that we're sacrificing? So this brings us to verse 6. It says, Abraham took the, carry, or took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to Isaac, his son, to carry. He carried the flint and the knife. The two of them went off together. Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, yes, my son, we have flint and wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Uh-oh, Isaac got smart. Uh-oh. So Abraham said, Son, God will see to it that there's a sheep for the burnt offering. And they kept walking together. Abraham had been given, had finally gotten the promise, okay? This is just, this is just the, the first beginning of the promise. Isaac wasn't old enough to have kids yet. He hadn't even started a family of his own. So how is this going to continue on if Isaac's getting sacrificed on some mountain somewhere? But Abraham was trusting that God wasn't going to make him sacrifice the promise. God was going to provide the sacrifice so that the promise wouldn't die with Isaac. So... This is where it starts to get kind of creepy. Abraham had gotten Isaac all tied up. I mean, you can't, you can't stab a squirming kid. You know, that's, it doesn't work good like that. You've got, you've, got to tie down, you've got to tie down the sacrifice. So he ties him up, and he has the knife up like he's getting ready to, to do the, the final thing. And then a voice comes from an angel, and it says, Abraham, stop. Close call. It's a close call. Abraham was willing to trust God, was willing to let go of the promise, in order to remain faithful to the same voice that had given the promise. I think sometimes the promise that we feel like we have in our life, like that maybe God is speaking to us, sometimes we hold that into higher regard than the one that's actually giving us the promise. Because ultimately, God is the one that provides for the promise, right? That's, that's what we've learned, come to understand, even in this story. So... Abraham was willing to say, okay, this is what we've got to do. I'm sure it wasn't just that easy. I'm sure he wasn't going, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just go ahead and kill my kid. I'm sure he agonized over this. I'm sure he probably had a rough night thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm getting ready to, what am I getting ready to do? But at the same time, he knew that this was the right thing to do. He had to trust God no matter what the consequences might be. Which brings me, uh, so the next verse I want to read is in chapter, same chapter, verses 9 through 14. So because of his faithfulness, um, actually, you know what? We didn't need to read that. Great. Uh, but I do want to focus on a couple of, so at the point that he's getting ready to do the stab, the voice calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, I'm listening. Like all of a sudden, it's like, yes, I'm listening. It's out of the blue. Don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't touch him. Now I know you fearlessly fear God. You didn't hesitate to place your son, your dear son, on the altar for me. Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught by its thorns, by its horns in the thicket. Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham named it the place. I don't know how 
pronounces this, but Jehovah Jireh is the, is, the, is the one that's typically used here. But it says God, see, God sees to it, so God provides. Now that's where we get the saying, on the mountain of God, he sees to it. So essentially, that's where God provides on the mountain. So that brings us to our next point. Abraham was willing to trust God. So God is looking for faithful vessels, if I can speak here, to bless the world. So in Genesis 15 through 19, 22, 15 through 19, the angel of God spoke from heaven a second time to Abraham. I swear God's sure word because you have gone through with this and have not refused to give me your son, your dear, dear son. I'll bless you. Oh, how I bless you. And I'll make sure that your children flourish like stars in the sky, like sand on the beaches, and your descendants will defeat their enemies. All nations on earth will find themselves blessed through your descendants because you obeyed me. Then Abraham went back to his young servants who were down at the bottom of the hill, probably had no idea what was going on. They got things together and returned to Beersheba. Abraham settled down there. God can only bless us when we're faithful. The reason behind that, I believe, is that if we don't trust that God has a better life for us, we won't allow him to bless us. God is never going to overstep his bounds. He's never going to step in and puppet you to do what he wants you to do. He's not going to do that. Because true love requires a choice. We have, I mean, from my understanding of free will, we have to be able to choose to listen to God. And God is willing to give us that choice. Knowing that we may disobey. That we may go on our own and do our own thing. Live our own lives. Forget about Him. He knows it's a risk, but He's willing to take it. Because that's what love does. This doesn't mean that Life will only be roses when we trust God, because it won't. You'll lose a lot of money, like we did. A lot of money. It was awful. It was stressful. But it just means that our awareness allows us to see what he's doing. Our eyes are open, our hearts are open, we're listening. That's what I believe the posture that Abraham had, was he was always listening. Always looking for God, always saying, when he got God... What's my next move? The cool thing about th this story is, why are we talking about Abraham at Christmas time, right? Like, he's from the Old Testament. It's, you know, whatever. This is important because Abraham, in his faithfulness, it was through his family that God had said from the beginning, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. It is through the line of Abraham that we get Jesus. And you can look at that genealogy, and we're not going to put it up here because there's a thousand names in there. But in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, that kind of gives you the list. And you'll see Abraham near the top, which is crazy. The faithfulness of Abraham led to the birth of Jesus, the king who would be born to the world and wanted to turn it upside down. He was going to be the savior of the world. Now, if Abraham had disobeyed, could God still fulfill his plan? Of course. God probably had a million scenarios playing out at the same time and probably knew. But I think ultimately God knew that Abraham was going to do it. Because he, he saw the posture of Abraham, that he was open, and that um, he was listening. And he was going to trust that God was going to ask him and do what he had asked him. So, 
what do we do with all this? Well, I want to recap real fast the major points here, just because I think it just helps us remember. So the first thing is we respond when we feel the nudge. I think that's a big thing. And that's one of the things that I felt whenever I was reading the story that connected with mine. And I'm not always good at this. This just happened in the major points of my life. Thankfully, I was listening. And I was able to follow what I believe God was doing in my life. Sometimes that promise feels like it's going to be derailed. So at some point, God might ask us to do something that seems like it's going to screw up the promise. Now, I don't know what the promise is specifically for me in terms of how it's all going to play out. I do know that at some point, I'll have to make a decision. Do I keep doing what I'm doing and being faithful and allowing God, like, you know, looking for a faithful vessel? How, if I'm faithful, God is going to use that. He's going to bless the world through that. I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to trust that God is, in, is behind all of this and that he's taking care of me and he's placing me where he wants me for this particular time. So what is the promise for all of us? I don't know all of your individual stories. I don't know what God has been doing in your lives necessarily. But what I do know is that there is a promise for all of us, and that is because of Jesus. There is a God who loved us so much that he would insert himself into this crazy world. Just look around, it's crazy. Stuff happening everywhere. Great stuff, terrible stuff, it's all happening. But God would insert himself into that, and guess what? It was still crazy when Jesus was alive. When Jesus was walking around, it was still just as crazy. Just no social media to document it, right? Um, but he, he, stepped in, he inserted himself into this crazy world to show us the way to live. Following Jesus is not just about saying that you're going to follow Jesus. It's about actually being faithful and actually doing the things that he's asking us to do. We get to be a part of a kingdom that will never end. This is the point of the Christmas story. Jesus is showing us what God is like. What we're getting ourselves into whenever he asks us to do stuff. Who are we trusting? Look at Jesus. That's how God is. That's what we're, that's what we're called or we're nudged to follow. That little tug sometimes that you feel, that thing that's hard that you don't necessarily want to do but you know you should, that's usually God speaking to you somehow, asking you to do something. Happens to me all the time. I'm, I'm batting about 70%, maybe, if I'm lucky. Yeah, it sounds good, but then those, usually those other 30% are terrible decisions, so it balances out. <laughs> but when we say yes to Jesus in this way of living, we become part of Abraham's family, which had a purpose to be a blessing to the world. That's what I love so much about what Alex and Darby are doing with and what you guys are, they're not the only ones, yeah, they're, they're leading this, but you guys are a big part of that. You guys are in the community, that's a huge deal. Being the hands and feet of Jesus is something that they say a lot in the church circles, which I love, I think that's amazing. Because that's, that's, that's how people get to know who God is. When they see it changing the lives of other people. One of my favorite stories in the Bible outside of Abraham, because Abraham's story is filled with twists and turns, and it's fun, and kind of makes me laugh sometimes, but there's a story in Genesis 28 about Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham. And at, and at this place he called Bethel, he, was, he became aware through a dream that God had been there the whole time. 
I, I think it was Rob Bell who pointed this out to me. I was like, holy cow, I've read that a thousand times, but I've never brought that point. Like, Jacob was aware in that moment that God had been with him the whole time. He's running away from his brother Esau, who he stole his birthright. That's a whole other story. Read that. It's great. The whole book of Genesis is full of awesome stuff. But he was aware of God's presence. And I love that principle because I think that that's what I try to do in my life. I try to be aware of what God is doing. I look around, and yeah, I see some terrible things. I see some bad things, bad decisions that I've made that have consequences. But ultimately, I've seen God with me this whole time. That's why the Christmas story is so important. It's a reminder that the baby was called Emmanuel in Matthew 1, 1.23, which was from Isaiah. Um, but it's saying that Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus comes to show us that God is with us this whole time. So the question I have for all of us, and this is not just to you, this is to all of us, to anybody that would hear this. Do we say yes to follow Jesus and allow the Christmas story to change our story? I have so far. It's brought me here. If I wouldn't have made the decisions I had made to move, I would have been stuck in Springfield for my whole life probably. Um, I wouldn't have gone, I probably would have just kept doing what I was doing and Maybe things would have been fine. I don't know. But what I do know is that my life has changed because I decided that I wanted to follow that nudge. It's brought me to some crazy places. I've got to meet some amazing people. You guys. Do we allow God to use our story to be a blessing to the world? Not only do we need to follow Jesus and allow that, that story that comes from this Christmas time, to change our story, but how is our story going to change the world? That's a question that we all got to ask ourselves. I'm asking it every day. God, what am I going to do today? Right now I'm working in Panera on City Avenue. Come see me. It's a world I never thought I'd be in. But God's got different plans, I guess. And I'm allowing him to, to use me in that way and make an impact while I'm there. Will I come back to vocational ministry and lead a church group? I don't know. But in the meantime, I want to be faithful to what God's asked me to do, go into the next opportunity that I believe God is laying out in front of me to take. And I think that being aware and being willing to do anything that God has asked me to do, I think that that's how I make an impact on the world, no matter where I'm at. So we're not all going to be called to do the same thing because we all have our own little purpose. And by little purpose, I mean huge purpose because we're going to make an impact on people. But do we allow God to use that to impact those around us? All right. um, thank you guys for listening. I want to pray, and then uh, we'll get out of here, okay? God, thank you so much that we get to hear about stories from thousands of years ago that still have an impact on our lives today. Thank you for choosing Abraham and this story, and thank you for allowing Abraham to be a part of blessing this world, because without it, I don't know what you would have done, but we know that Jesus came from that, from that blessing, from that promise. And because of Jesus, our lives can be changed. God, thank you that you have invited us to be a part of the story of blessing the world. 
You wouldn't have invited us if you didn't think that we were capable. You wouldn't have invited us if you didn't want us to, because obviously you could do it yourself, but you wanted us to be a part, because you knew what kind of an impact it would have on our lives, but also what the impact would be on others. So I pray that you would go, go with us after tonight, God, that you would continue to speak to us. Thank you for the message that you love us and that the Christmas story is that reminder of what you look like and that you love us so much that you're willing to go through all that you went through to show us what love looks like. Be it this as we go throughout our week, and uh, thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.